All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 53 of Collectible Live. Today is Sunday, November the 20th, 2022, and my name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank everyone who tuned in last time with our guest, Scott Roskind, the Chief Visionary Officer at Beckett. You can check that video out on both the Sports Card Live and the Collectible YouTube channels. But let's bring out this week's guest. He's the founder of Standard Gaming, Brett Charville. Welcome to Collectible Live. I got to say... As the intro was playing, I saw you kind of smiling watching that little the little intro video for Collectible Live. What, what were you thinking about that? I like the one where uh, hey everybody, th thanks for having me, Jeremy. I, I like the one where it's like uh, like three of your head like really close together, like a, like a right. mosaic pattern. You know, it's like very very uh, nuevo art. Yeah, love it. Yeah, I, I like what they how they how they put that together. Well, anyway, Brett, it's great to have you on the show. Well, welcome welcome to the show. Uh, this is. As I mentioned, episode number 53. So we've been going for uh, well over a year now. And um, anyway, you know, it, it's great to have you. I always like having on uh, Collectible Live, uh, you know, in industry insiders from verticals that are not necessarily simply sports cards, which is where I really focus my interest on sports cards. I love when we have people from memorabilia, tickets, magazines. Now, you know, photos. Now we have video games. This is yeah. really interesting to me, Brett. And maybe it's partially because I grew up in the 80s playing the Atari 2600. I graduated into the, the NES, the, the original, well, not the original, not the Famicom, but the, the original North American version uh, with Super Mario Brothers. I'll tell that story a little bit later. Uh, but it's always fun to, uh, to learn more about some of these other collectible niches. And I think you're, you're perfect for this. So... Let's jump in. And uh, what I wanted to talk about first with, with you was Standard Gaming is a company that you founded uh, pretty recently for, you know, relatively speaking. Why don't you let us know uh, what is Standard Gaming and how did you come to found the company? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I, I've been in collectibles my whole life. Uh, started a long time ago. We can get into that later. Uh, but uh, a few years ago, I was executive at Collectors Universe. I think we're also going to, you know, get into that. But uh, for me, standard gaming, I was collecting games myself, collecting graded games. Uh, there was a real uh, kind of hole, I think, uh, in a couple different facets of, of collectible video games and graded video games. The two big things that we're trying to do out of the gate is give people knowledge, variant guides, easy to understand content. A lot of stuff you find yourself, you know, kind of going down these rabbit holes and message boards and stuff like that. The information can be out of date, kind of inconsistent. And uh, so really want to give people kind of free quick digestible bites information around what they're buying. And then the second one is just giving people, uh, you know, a, a direct purchase option. Right now you kind of have two options. You kind of have auction, uh, you know, the major, you know, we know the heritages, the goldens of the world have auction platform. You can be patient. You can wait for, you know, what you're, uh, what you're looking for. Uh, on the other side of the coin is kind of eBay, which can be a bit of a minefield. You know, people, you know, it's mostly, we all know eBay is not, so much of an auction platform anymore, as much as it's, you know, more of a marketplace and buy it now um, can be, you know, pretty aggressive markups and stuff on there. So we're trying to just keep it really simple, really direct, instantaneous, simple, easy to understand marketplace, direct purchase. You can come in, you can buy your first graded video game if you're coming from sports cards or rare coins or memorabilia and feel pretty good about the whole experience. Okay, right on. So for everybody watching, if you're listening on podcast, standardgaming.com is your website and you can follow standard gaming on instagram at standard 
game and I'm waiting for it to come back across the ticker for me. There's that standard gaming official. Yeah. Uh, so be be sure to check that out if, if if this interests you. And I mean, if you're anything like me, it does interest you because, uh, you know, you grew up in the 80s playing video games. I'm going to quickly tell you my personal video yeah. game. Yeah. I grew up, you know, I grew up in the early 80s on the Atari 2600, you know, with combat that came with all the, with the game of the consoles. And then I got my wisdom teeth out in grade nine. And my mother went and bought me a Nintendo, the NES, with, mm -hmm. that came packaged with Super Mario Brothers, which was such an upgrade from combat that came packaged with Atari. Really? And I was home. Is this 1985, 1986, 87? I think I was, I think I was 14 years old, 86. 86. Yeah, 86. Okay. Yeah. So she brought it home and I was off school for a couple of days because my, my, my wisdoms were impacted. So I came out of the surgery with like, I was like swollen out to here yeah. <laughs> and I had like, I don't know, four or five days at home. All I did was play Super Mario Brothers to the point where I pretty much, I won't say I mastered it now that I see people doing these marathons. Yeah. Got to the end and I found that trick on one of the stairs where you could jump on the little mushroom guy and keep on jumping, get 99 free men. Yeah. I came upon that by accident and I thought I was like, you know, there, there was no internet to learn that. I mean, you know, if a friend didn't figure it out and tell you, you were on your own, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, and listen, that's why it's fun for me to have you on because, and one of the props I know you're going to show, I mean, that, that hits right on uh, in a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. that is, that is nostalgia at its core for me. So um, let's, let's just, before we get on, I want to hear more about your, your history as a collector. Let's say hello. We got contender in the house. What's going on? Contender D caps says that uh, Charville is the goat. Very nice. Albert Jones. Welcome to you. SNES and Nintendo 64 for life. I did pick up a 64 later, but nothing nothing was the NES for me. Uh, Rory says I should have kept my Chrono Trigger and Earthbound for SNES. Seal. I mean, we all have those. Always should have could as right. Yeah. Still needs an Earthbound. I don't know what that is at this point. So <laughs> we'll get um, you there. <laughs> so why don't you you know take us back a little bit? Uh, I'd like to hear really about. You're collecting history through until you started uh, and then take us through when you did start at Heritage, which is, I think, your first uh, really professional work within the collectibles industry. Yeah. So I'll, I'll you know, you were talking about speed running Mario. So I'll try to kind of, you know, speed run uh, my life story real quick here to not put everybody to sleep. But yeah, so I'm 37. So I started as a Heritage intern, um, Heritage Auctions, Dallas. Everybody knows Heritage when I was 20. Uh, that was still kind of a new novel thing, you know, to go intern at an auction company, you know, 17, 18 years ago. And uh, they put me in the rare coin department. I was interested in all collectibles, had been collecting comics, video games, uh, coins, um, sports cards, pretty much anything I could get my hands on. They put me in the coin department. I like to tell people, especially when I was at Collector's Universe later, I'm a collectibles guy. Heritage put me in the coin department and that set me on about a 15 year path of being a professional coin dealer. So was there professionally after college for a few years did a two-year stint at a, at a company in, in Tulsa. And then in 2012, I started my own rare coin business, Standard Numismatics, and uh, ran that for about seven years. Uh, sold that uh, in 2018, averaging a little over about 25 million a year in sales, five or six employees, nice business. And uh, that was uh, really great. Over that time, I had become, I was a, one of the largest submitters to Collector's Universe. Um, it's interesting, we kind of talk in these different kind of order of magnitudes, but at the time, there was about a five-year period where I was spending about a half million a year on certification fees at PCGS, you know, the coin division of, uh, of Collector's Universe. Got to know people there pretty well. 
uh, prior president left, uh, did about, you know, 40 interviews. We were a publicly traded company at the time, uh, eventually was offered the role to be, uh, to be PCGS president and took that role in, uh, end of 2018. And uh, yeah, so did that. And uh, that, that kind of just, we can, we can come back to some parts on this, but uh, it was kind of a whirlwind about three years. Uh, just really interesting. You know, when you, I like to tell people when I talk about, you know, working at Collector's Universe or being an executive at a, at a grading company is you kind of go from being uh, the head, you kind of go from playing in the NBA to being like the head referee, yeah. where all of a sudden, you know, like best case scenario, 50% of the people in the stands, you know, are happy with you, you know, and it's, 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 as you, as you're probably learning and stuff, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Another, you know, one more analogy that, that the chairman of the board, uh, Bruce Stevens told me at the time was your whole life, you've been driving around in a speedboat and now you're in like an oil tanker and, you know, kind of learning that, you know, going from having five employees to about 250 employees, uh, collectors universe has a big coin office in Shanghai and Hong Kong and Paris and kind of managing all that. And, uh, and then COVID hit and, you know, there was people talking collectibles. There were kind of two phases of COVID, right? First phase was we thought the world was going to end and, you know, who would want to collect things when there's a global pandemic. And then the second phase was, you know, kind of a tidal wave of activity and business and, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So went through those couple waves and then pretty much went right into um, being acquired by Nat Turner and his groups, um, at, uh, you know, and the, the current, current ownership of, uh, of Collector's Universe, but great guys that own it now. Nat's great, really good guy. And everybody else there's, you know, really awesome and stuff for me. It was, uh, you know, I like to tell people my hairline was like right here, you know, when I started Collector's Universe and about two and a half years later, it was back here. So I was like, guys, I believe in what's going on, but I, I need to, I need to get back to playing in the NBA, uh, you know, rather than uh, being a referee anymore. Right. Oh, great story, man. So let's talk about the three years at Collector's Universe. So it seems to me, based on that timeline, that you were there during this, the big, the, the big run up of, of sports cards and, and the, the, you know, the PSA's famous backlog of 14 million cards or whatever yeah. it was. Um, what was it like for you being in the organization during during that that mayhem of of yeah. where the where the the I don't know what happened in coins I don't follow coins yeah. yeah but I follow sports cards pretty darn closely yeah. and it was blowing up what was it like for you being in the organization seeing what your your counterparts at PSA were going through yeah. Were they asking for help from PCGS? Okay. Were you yeah. like, what uh, was yeah. that like? What no, it's, it's fascinating. So when we were a publicly trading company, we were uh, a six person executive team. Joe Orlando was our CEO. We had a CFO and then we had two division presidents. PSA was Steve Sloan at the time. I was PCGS, the coin president. And then we had a CIO and a, a VP of ops. And so we made kind of the, you know, the, um, be it'd be an insult to Jedi's to call us a Jedi council. Um, but, um, you know, we were, we were the, you know, six executives at the company. And when I started, um, PCGS, the coin division was the biggest division at the company doing about two and a half million coins a year. PSA, I think was doing about 2 million cards in 2018 a year. And it, it's been pretty wild because of the last four years, you know, I oversaw, you know, record growth. We broke, you know, every record of PCGS, prof, you know, number of units, you know, all this sort of stuff. But PSA went just completely, you know, orbital in that time, right? So, you know, we're talking about in 2018, they were doing 2 million cards a year. They're doing a million cards a month now. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's an order of magnitude different. There's a lot of shared resources at the company, you know, um, the same person that's going to seal a, you know, a card into a plastic holder is also, you know, going to seal a coin in a plastic holder. And so there's a lot of overlap there. COVID obviously present a lot of challenges. Uh, COVID, uh, maybe a, a silver lining of COVID was that it forced us more into shifts. Um, you know, we were, we were having trouble before COVID talking guys into guys and gals into working the night shift and COVID hits. And it's like, we, we have to work the night shift, you know, um, not only for safety reasons, cause we need to spread out, you know, whole company kind of becomes a checkerboard if you think about it, right. In terms of spacing and you got somebody at a cubicle ceiling next cubicle over, well, nobody can sit there because of COVID, you know, so, you know, all these different sort of things happening, but, um, really just, you know, a 35 year company, 30, 35 year old company, probably the most interesting three years somebody could be there, I would think. Um, but yeah, yeah. Remote, yeah. That, that, that's pretty cool. Here's, here's a question I just thought of, and it, it has to do with you transitioning from coins and into video games. Coins to me as a collectible is a historical thing, right? You got ancient Greek coins, you know, going back to, you've got, you've got, tre you've got uh, like uh, shipwreck treasure coins and all these different really cool things, but they're so historical. They're so old and sort of like, I guess, tickets to a degree. They're not making them anymore, really. I mean, you've got some of the mints are making their commemorative coins, but for the most part, coins are, as is paper money, kind of going away, right? It's not, it's not like it was 15 years ago. Contradict that with, or compare that to video games. And I guess what I'm, where I'm going is that a lot of the coins I would think are probably graded by now, you know, unless people are, you know, old people are passing away, they're, their the recipients, yeah. the the beneficiaries of their estates are, are coming to these collections, grading them to sell them is probably the way to go, just like it would be with sports cards. But I correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like a, the majority of them might be graded already with there not being a lot more new coins coming into existence. And that's a guess. I don't know that for sure. I'll let you correct yeah. me after no, I've done this. You're really, it, your hunch is correct in that um, I, I don't want to say all good coins have been graded because there's still, there's still the hunt there, you know? Um, but, you know, I would say when I was at PCGS, um, you know, something, if a, if a six figure coin walks into, you know, a store in Toledo, Ohio, and it gets graded, that's, that's a newsworthy event at this point where, uh, you know, PSA and, and then probably WADA, the, the video game grading company are, are regularly grading six figure items. And it's not, uh, you know, it's not too big of a deal. There's still a lot of resubmissions and stuff like that and coins and crossovers and stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, there, there's a, a big nonprofit that helps out in coins, the American Numismatic Association, and their motto is history in your hands, right? To, to your point, I mean, there's thousands of years history and track record on these items. It is very interesting, you know, people, as I was a coin dealer, people would say, well, you know, I don't have change in my pocket anymore. Do you think this is going to persist? And you know, the, the most collectible coin is a silver dollar. And we really, as a country, haven't used those since like the 1930s. Um, you know, uh, you know, same thing with, uh, you know, video games, you know, the new, you know, uh, there's a version of the new PlayStation, the PlayStation 5 that you can't insert a game into it, right? I play a Nintendo Switch. I got to admit, I download the games most of the time. I'm probably going to get roasted for for saying that by the, by the peanut gallery. But um yeah. So it's interesting. I think it all persists, right? You know, I would argue that 
you know, you know, Mario or Michael Jordan in sports cards has just way more of a worldwide cultural significance than probably about anything we could do with, with coins or paper money, you know, yeah. probably. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that makes sense to me. And so, you know, I guess what I'm, what I'm thinking is that coin, first of all, I think it's really cool. I love history in your hands. That's a, that's a great motto. And I don't think that collecting coins will ever go to the personally from the outside looking in that it will ever go to the wayside because it is history. And, 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 money doesn't go away just because the paper or, or metal form of it does. Mm-hmm. It's still money. And that's the history of money. There's, there's a, a, a new set called currency, a sports, uh, a, sport, a card set came out called mm-hmm. currency by a toy company that's out there now. Pretty, pretty interesting. But you know, where I was going with that is when it comes to then video games, so coins are historical. Most of them are graded. Let's just say for ease of discussion, whereas video games, grading video games is relatively brand new. All the all the video games that exist are potentially gradable, except yeah. for those that are, you know, the boxes are trash, whatever it might yeah. be. So what's it like for you to go from coins and that sort of um, just that 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 outlook to yeah. video games where it's like all of a sudden the world's your oyster again. There's so much potential pipeline of units to run through the grading system, the, the, like, say, for WADA. But you're not at standard gaming, I guess I should clarify, you're not in the grading business, you're in the platform, the sales sales platform business. So it's a bit different. But speak to I think a lot of people are curious about the grading of video games and how for that for that collectible vertical, it's just it's all there. It's all new. It's like we're. Yeah. And so it's um, and I I wish I would have looked up the PSA stats before I got on here. But, you know, uh, PCGS and their largest competitor, NGC and coins. They've graded uh, and certified and encapsulated a combined uh, more than 85 million coins. And uh, let me get my math right. You know, I think WADA, uh, you know, WADA is the preeminent, you know, grading service alongside VGA and now CGC. Um, They've graded, I think, about 250,000 video games. So for some comparison, in my career as a coin dealer, I have submitted more than 250,000 coins to grading services, (laughs) you know? So when it comes to putting things in plastic, there are collectibles. I have a lot of experience with it, but you know, the, um, you know, the video game market, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of the wild, wild west. And, and a big part of what I want to try to do is, is make it not as much be the wild, wild west. So people are more comfortable with it and people, you know, um, some, a negative thing about the coin market is because a lot of older people, uh, collect coins. There is sort of a, a telemarketing element to it and stuff like that, that uh, coins can sometimes be a, a, a tool of choice to, you know, a, a sleazy phone salesman or something like that. Sure. And what we, what we always try to, what we worry about in coins is that somebody's super interested in coins, but they get burned the first time, the first purchase they make, they buy something for a thousand bucks that's worth 200. They're probably never coming back to that collectible. You know, and so that's one of the most important things. And that's why I'm really, I really appreciate you having me on here is we're talking to, you know, uh, people at your sports cards, you're thinking about video games, where can you go? What can you look at? What can you do um, to just have a, that good first experience? And that's really kind of what we're trying to make standardgaming.com. That's, that's very cool. And I mean, I don't think, you know, the video game collecting industry hasn't it hasn't been a stranger to controversy and that sort of thing just like all of the collectible verticals are are you 
are you trying to uh through standard gaming kind of i'll put it as level the playing field or providing education and informational resources to people so that you know there might not be any so people can make educated uh and 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 you know purchasing decisions with confidence and not worrying about you know anyone hyping up and blowing up prices and you know pump and dump schemes and that kind of thing which are i think they probably exist in all in all collectible niches um you know can you speak to that uh, briefly yeah no absolutely and and you know one of um a a guy that was actually one of the the founders of wada you know told me a couple months ago when when he saw our site for the first time he said i think you guys having in under $500 section on your website is like after the creation of the grading services, like the most important thing that's happened to graded video games in the last five years, because I think to your point, right. People thought of it as this thing where maybe, maybe it was like speculation heavy. You're only, nobody writes news articles about this game sold for $1,500. It's the ones that sell for a million and 2 million and a hundred thousand that make the news and stuff like that. And I think, you know, to your point about kind of information and knowledge, when any vertical or any, anything is new, there's just only so much, you know, compared to sports cards, there's only so many, um, you know, mainstream articles about it and stuff like that. Right. So you have, yeah, an instance where, you know, maybe a new vertical or somebody up and coming, there's something that happens that kind of creates like a black eye or a bruise, you know, in the segment, if there's only so many articles about it, you know, about, about the entire hobby as a whole, that's going to be maybe a higher percentage of them than almost kind of what's fair, you know, in terms of the overall, you know, sentiment and what collectors are doing every day and stuff like that. So I think a lot of it is just, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, they say what time heals all wounds. Well, it's actually like time and like a lot of content, and like positive, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and, and just, you know, I think people, you know, doing the right thing and stuff like that. But I think great video games are really on the right track. And um, Wada's done a great job the last couple of years. Uh, CGC, which as you probably know, uh, is a comic, you know, grading company. They just launched a few weeks ago and stuff. And um, I think that's pretty exciting too. So, yeah. So you, so there's three options now for grading video games, Wada, VGA, VGA. Yeah. and CGC. Yeah. Do their holders, are they all pretty much kind of like in sports cards, all the holders are pretty much the same. You know, you've got some different yeah. color borders. You got different plastics used, but are they all, do they all try to keep the, the, the cartridge? Yeah. So, box so kinda... VGA has been around for about 12 years, been around longer than a decade. And uh, it, it was really, um, so VGA uses a different scale. Uh, it's a hundred point scale, but they go like 80, 85, 85 plus 90. Um, and it can be, uh, it, it can be a little confusing uh, personally or not, not personally. I think it's pretty factually when things really started to take off a few years ago in graded video games, uh, it had a lot to do with the advent of WADA uh, grading service. They use a, a 10 point system that mimics uh, comic grading where you go 10, nine, eight, nine, six, as opposed to, you know, 10, nine and a half, um, you know, down the line and CGC, the company that just launched is going to, is going to effectively kind of conform to that standard with, with a few minor differences. So um, that is actually one of the, um, uh, something that I hope in the coming, in the coming months, years becomes a little bit more clear in video games. I, I would maybe list that as maybe one of the bigger obstacles in that there's a, there's a legacy grading company, VGA, that's really good, but they kind of use a different scale than, uh, than WADA. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a challenge having, it can be confusing to a new entrant who sees one grading scale on one holder versus another one. And 
you're talking to a guy here who's prone to pick up things that remind me of my childhood and you know a, a slabbed super mario brothers would be yeah. would be i i see super mario 3 gets all sort of crazy money i did i never liked that game to me yeah. super mario 1 and 2 on the nes were i mean that that was my jam back in the day yeah. so yeah yeah well, Let's go to a couple. i think a challenge that that we think about at standard gaming is you know you go to our site and and you know we, we try to be selective with what's on the front page and if you click you know knowledge base we try to be selective about what you're hitting and you know, we're in this TikTok world now where I know that if I'm writing an article on grading standards, I don't have, you're not going to read it for 20 minutes. You know, we need to get people bullet pointed information and, and do kind of a good concise job. And uh, there is a lot to learn in video games. And, uh, and that's, that's part of the excitement to me. Um, but we need to make sure that we're able to present that information in a way that it doesn't, you know, turn off potential new collectors. Well, I really like this under $500 category you're talking about. I mean, I'm I could see myself picking up a few a few pieces. Let's go to a couple of comments here. Skeppy says, uh, "Coin toning, are you a fan or no?" And I don't know what that is. Uh, I'm guessing it has to do with the metal tarnishing over time, yeah. or people doing it on purpose. I don't know. But what, what yeah. do you know? What he's can you explain what he's talking about? And- uh, I, I mean, some people like uh, coins that we refer to as white coins. You know, coins with no tarnish, and some people like tone coins. Um, naturally tone coins. Absolutely, I'm a big big fan of yeah that was uh that's our left field question for the day all right yeah aih sports says i like bullion the only issue is that the supply is large wow Can you just add some context kind of kind of just speak to that a little bit yeah i mean i think i think if you're if you're interested in bullion which is you know just kind of accumulating you know silver or, or gold or, or or platinum i i personally as, as a, a rare coin guy i don't think of that as much as um uh, you, you can't really build a collection out of that, you know, so much as you're more just maybe like accumulating, maybe diversifying, you know, your overall, you know, kind of net worth or something like that. But um, I, I would never be personally one to recommend silver or gold or any metals as an investment or anything. I'm, I'm the word investment has never came out of my mouth when talking about collectibles, except for this very moment, this one time <laughs> right now. Like the, the rare, the rare coin collectible niche isn't about buying silver and gold and 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 uh stacking it i think is the term they use. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. It's, it's that that that's in that when, when people are buying silver and gold they're buying the coins or they're buying the the bullion they're really investing in precious metals like you said to diversify their overall portfolio if, yeah. I agree. It's not a collection that's so much fun, except you can just look at your money if you like looking at stack. Yeah, I mean, a, a, good, a good rare silver coin might be worth $10,000 and the, the underlying metal is worth $12 or something. Right. There's still some intrinsic value there, right? Uh, more than a sports card or a video game, to be honest. That's if you, you know, if you set it on fire, you still have $12 of silver, right? You know, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, mostly uh, you know, we're talking typically a, a big dividing line in coins is 1964. 1964 and prior, you know, for rare coins. Is that because of like silver content or something like that? Exactly. Yeah. That's when we took uh, silver out of circulation as a country. Okay. Um, so coins went from being, uh, you know, a silver, a quarter that you grab in your pocket change, it quit being made out of silver in 1964. Decap said here, most games I buy are all under $500, makes it fun and affordable. And to me, that's a, you know, if you're not someone who can afford six and seven figure uh, price tags on games, you can you can afford a couple of hundred up to five and just make a nice display out of it. I think that's a I could see myself getting to that just like I need something else to collect. And, and uh, yeah, the who the irony here is that I know decaps and that he has uh, 
many games well over $500. Um, but uh, he probably has quite a few under 500 as well. So we'll give him a pass on that. Yeah. All right. Appreciate that. Well, welcome to the show, Decaps. And Yehuda says, what are the grails of video games? Which is something I'm really curious about as well. Yeah, we can get into that. Um, so, you know, off the bat, you know, kind of two biggest ones. So another thing we kind of talk about in, um, you know, in video games, and I might be able to use kind of some sports analogies here, I, I, I hope. Um, one of my favorite sports cards is uh, Frank Thomas, no name on front. Um, was that tops? 92? 90 tops, yeah. 90 tops, yeah. But that's something that's something that's probably cool to you. It's cool to me. Um, if you're just getting into, you know, uh, sports cards today, that's probably not going to register the cool factor, you know, out of the gate, you know, sort of thing like that. So uh, that's something that's pretty interesting. You know, I think CGC is the grading company. They're going to start using, trying to use the term classic rarities. There are old games. There's a game called stadium events yeah. um, where if you're collecting, if you're collecting Nintendo set, you're trying to get all 850 or whatever games and you want one of each stadium events is the rarest one, but you know, nobody, I mean, I don't think anybody yet has gone to standardgaming.com and searched in stadium events because most everybody that's new is looking for, you know, Mario, Zelda, uh, Pokemon um, as a result. Uh, so the, the most expensive game to sell is a, is a copy of Super Mario Bros. Your, your classic uh, version sold on uh, through Rally last year for $2 million to a private collector. Um, this is one of my favorite things about video games. I'm going to use one of my, one of my props now. So there's three different ways you can collect a video game. You can collect just the cartridge. Um, usually a lot of those aren't graded. You can do go complete other end of the spectrum. A game is sealed. It's still in its original, you know, shrink wrap. I got a, you know, modern Pokemon game here. You can hardly see it, but this still has a plastic. You can kind of see it in there. Yep. There's a plastic shrink wrap seal and stuff like that on it. So that's a sealed game. The middle ground is what's called complete in box, where somebody uh, opened the game, uh, played with it, kept all the components. And these are still pretty darn rare. I don't know about you as a kid. I never kept any of my boxes as a kid. I have a few manuals. Um, speaking of Earthbound, my favorite game as a kid was Earthbound. You know, I have the I have the the player's guide. I have the game. I didn't save the box. The box alone is worth a thousand bucks now. You know, right. um, sort of thing. But so Super Mario Bros. being kind of the the Grail of Grail um, in sealed condition. I really love. So this is a complete inbox copy that is WADA graded 6.5 on the 10 scale. Sorry, I'm bad with my camera. And this is about a $700 item. And so the big disparity, so the one that sold for $2 million was graded 9.8 and it was sealed, mm -hmm. making it, you know, the finest one of this. What I really like about this as an example is this would be like if you could get a mantle, a 52 mantle in five for $800, you know, where it's, where it's the same thing. It's just a lower state of preservation, you know? Right. And that's to me, one of the most compelling things about video games is that I think video games, two things about video games, I've done every collectible I've done. I collect comic art. I do, you know, I've done comic books, cards, Pokemon cards, video games, everything. Video games to me are the thing that when you hold it in your hand, uh, you know, the nostalgia that it conjures and stuff like that, um, because you have such more interactive moments with it, right? Where, you know, I collected cards as a kid. There's some old sports cards. You hand me a Joe Montana rookie. I'm going to remember like, you know, seeing it with my dad and stuff like that. But this, I mean, you have 
hours, days, weeks of memories, you know, oftentimes with friends and stuff like that. And so that's, you know, kind of, kind of one of my favorite things, um, you know, about it is that virtually everything that is a grail and very high grade, um, you can buy a lower grade copy and from six feet away on your shelf. I mean, same, same, you know, which I, which I think is really, really great about the, about the hobby. So you've been, you've been explaining it and, and, you know, sharing this, all this information. I just keep thinking to myself, who would have thought that some shrink wrap would be worth just shy of $2 million? (laughs) (laughs) Nobody. That's why it's worth 2 million, right? Exactly. Which is, which is a similar way that sports cards, you know, that's that organic scarcity, the organic rarity, I should say that, uh, you know, just because mothers were throwing out attic cleaning, throwing out their kids' cards and, and, and what we were doing with them. Just like you said, I didn't keep my Super Mario. But when I went and bought Super, when, when I got my first Super Mario and then I was adding more and more games, I'd go to the go to the store to buy games. I And I remember buying the first Zelda in in the, the gold, the gold cartridge that had like a hole in the box. So you could see the gold mm-hmm. cartridge through it. Yeah. I'm sure that's yeah. a that's probably a grail right now. Yeah. I remember buying one of those for 50 or 60 bucks. Gosh, I wish I bought a second copy and, yeah. and kept it in, in, in that state, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, two two quick things. So to your point, that Zelda game would probably be kind of the, the number two grail. You know, some there's a some sealed copies have sold. I think one one brought just under a million dollars last year. And same thing, you can buy a complete inbox unsealed copy for um, we sold one for three hundred twenty five dollars a couple of weeks ago, graded copy and stuff like that. Really, really cool. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I don't know. It just I get I get a smile on my face. It excites me so much. But yeah. $325 for a for a unit like that to put on your just to put up there on a shelf. Like to me, that that makes sense. That's something that I could get my head around and yeah. you know put out that kind of money. Uh six figures on it. Hey, I'm not knocking that. It's yeah. just, you know, I, I just have my my interests yeah. elsewhere. But uh I want to bring up uh, Gross Bros asked this question: how much does it generally cost to grade a video game? Like the like the the slab sure. you just showed. He said those cases are wild. I mean, they are pretty cool. What is it? Yeah. What's a, what's an average cost? Well, right? Plastic, yeah. So it is it is more expensive. Uh, well, you know, post pandemic now it's you know card grading got very expensive very quickly. You know, a year year and a half ago. Um, but so this is like a modern game. Uh, Wada you know Wada starts at about forty bucks a game. Um, something, uh, you can get like, like a vintage game sealed for about as cheap as 60, um, CGC and VGA have similar pricing. Um, and, uh, yeah, pr- pretty quick turnover right now. I mean, it's like, uh, four to six weeks at WADA. Um, they're pretty, pretty caught up like everybody. They got behind, you know, when things got, when things got crazy. Um, but, um, yeah. Okay. So- certain, I mean, yeah, this is, yeah, this is, I think I, I I know, I think I have a feel for their plastic costs and it's, you know, more than a PSA holder in plastic. You know, I've, I've heard, correct me if I'm wrong, this might be a misunderstanding because it seems wild to me. I don't know which grading company it is, perhaps it's WADA or VGA, where there is some sort of QR code on that, on the outside of that holder, that slab, where if you scan it, you can actually play the game on your phone or on a device. Is that, am I no, making this up not- or... No, I think that's uh, I think that's still on the wish list. Of, okay. uh, I got excited for a second. No, that was um, that was something I know they were talking about a couple of years ago. But there's a lot of uh, Nintendo is a uh, historically litigious uh, company, and that would be uh, that'd, that'd be a one day goal. But yeah, yeah, that would certainly be amazing. 
Yeah. Okay. I don't that know was really the whole thing of how are you going to play it, you know? Right. And that's something I'd love to touch on real quick because, you know, I was, I, I wasn't quite around at the beginning of comic book collecting, but I know when comic book grading, you know, uh, beginning of comic book grading, you know, about 25 years ago, that was the number one thing is, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to read this comic? And, you know, kind of that commoditization of the product that allows, you know, everybody said, well, when you're amazing Spider-Man, issue one is worth $200. You're like, well, maybe I want to read it. And then because you got it graded, it went from being worth, you know, 200 to 5,000. And you're like, you know, maybe I'll just download the digital copy, you know? And I think it's the same thing with video games, you know, um, all the best speedrunners in the world don't use original hardware anymore, you know, and stuff like that. Um, there's so many ways to play these games, um, which I think really is just, you know, a, another, you know, great facet of this hobby. Yeah. 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 No, even like you said, when you, when you said before, you might get roasted for downloading some games versus, you know, buying the cartridge. But I have a feeling that a collector like yourself might also buy the cartridge if you like the game just to put it in your collection. So, so it's not like you're hurting the industry. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're supporting both, both, you're supporting it from both ends, actually. So. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Decaps asks, what's been the most expensive game standard gaming has sold to date? We'll start. And then he has a follow-up after. Yeah. Um, well, so, yeah. Uh, so we are in the process of selling. Uh, I Dan, I can't say. I can't say. Um, we've, sold, we've sold some six-figure games, but I can't say more than that. Okay, fair enough. He then goes on to say, what is your favorite game in the collection? I don't know which collect if he's referring to your collection or just the, the history of video games, but we yeah. interpret it as uh, you will. All time and in my collection is my childhood copy of Earthbound that I have. That's yeah. still pretty gem for some reason. Yeah. Skeppy here says that it seems like the early Nintendo Power magazines have taken off in collecting value as well. And I do remember buying those on the newsstand in the 80s. Um, what can you say about, about those and how that kind of maybe ties into magazine, you know, graded magazines. And I had a, an expert on, on graded sports illustrated on a couple of weeks. Yeah. Ago. Yeah. So, um, Nintendo power copies are something that, uh, even just in the last couple months, um, have really become more prominent. Heritage had, uh, some really strong sales, uh, sold off some really high grade copies in the last few months. I think it's something that, um, you know, all the kind of associated ephemera with, uh, you know, with video games, People collect, um, you know, cardboard displays from stores and stuff like that, of, you know, different characters. And there's all sorts of different ephemera that comes with with video game collecting. Um, I think right now um, with CGC coming into grading uh, video games, because they've, they've been the grader of Nintendo Powers for years because they've been grading magazines. They're a little bit ahead of the curve um, from some other grading services in terms of doing magazines. So... Um, you have kind of a little bit of hype right now around CGC video game grading coming online. And, um, and I think that kind of in conjunction with the fact that they've been grading Nintendo powers for years now, um, I think is a real positive factor for those. They look beautiful and they're hard to find in high grade. So if you're somebody like myself, who after meeting someone like yourself might decide I'm going to pick up a few graded video games, is there a grading company or a slab that is generally you know, dominating the, the market similar to a PSA dominates in sports cards. And what would you, how would you guide me? What, how would you advise me? Would you say, Hey, you know, maybe wait for CGCs or stick with WADA. Um, I know now your, your former company collectors universe owned sure. WADA as well. So I don't know if you have any bias there and if you do, that's fine. But yeah. uh, how would you advise somebody like, like me? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think WADA right now is probably the most, the, 
kind of the most easy to understand in terms of their standards and stuff. You, you honestly, I really think you kind of can't go wrong with all three. CGC is still kind of a TBD, but um, they are, uh, they're a very well-run company, the CCG group and stuff. So I competed with them, you know, when I was running PCGS, their coin division, NGC, they were, you know, our rival. Um, and I, I have a lot of respect. Um, I, it's funny. I can say now that they were, they were more well-run, than when I was running PCGS. <laughs> you know, I kind of dug up myself. What does that say about standard gaming? I'm just kidding. You're not, you're not a grading company anymore. Together. We don't, we don't have an office in Shanghai of 35 people that I have to, you know, have to, you know, manage. Um, but I think to me, one of the things that I've found is I think it's really important if you're getting started to kind of try to put yourself on a stroll down memory lane. Um, and whether that's going to a website like standard gaming and just looking at everything, because, I did a, I actually did a, a coin podcast a few months ago and they were like, just, just bring some games, bring some less expensive stuff and just sell it to us. We want that. We want Mike Tyson's punch out and we want RBI baseball. And they were naming these titles. And then I brought other stuff and I brought um, excite bike, you know, oh, NES, yeah. you know, black box title. And I brought excite bike, had no idea that these guys that are a little older than me, you know, played it when they were a kid. And I mean, it, it just triggered this nostalgia with them where if you would ask them to list out all their video games that they liked as a kid, they wouldn't even have thought about it. And then when I, when I showed it to them, just, oh my gosh, we, we played this so long and we did X, Y, and Z with it. And we knew, you know, every, you know, every facet of the game and stuff like that. So I think really, um, you know, kind of, kind of put yourself in a position where you're take a look at everything. And I think it'll, it'll kind of fire some synapses with people and stuff like that. And then, um, and then, well, yeah. You know, what I won't do, what I won't do, Brett, I remember when the Nintendo, when the NES first came out and new games were being released, I'd go to the store to find a game to buy. Like, I'm going to buy a game. Didn't know. I didn't have a target. It was just, what, what I'll buy yeah. whatever came out. I walked out one day with Clue Clue Land and I mm-hmm. got home. I was like, this game sucks. Like, yeah. this is just yeah. horrible. Yeah. Like, is that a game that has value now because people yeah. probably didn't care about it? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so, you know, there's, there's 30 games in this original black box series that all kind of look kind of ubiquitous. And it's actually kind of interesting that there was, and I'm not a super expert on the history of video games, but I'll try my best here. There was a pretty big crash in the video game market uh, with Atari before uh, Nintendo came on the scene in late 1985. And something that people had a problem with is that the Atari covers for boxes were awesome. And people would see, you know, like Spider-Man or, you know, Mario, Donkey Kong, these awesome, beautiful covers of these, of this box art. And then they'd get the game and, you know, it's like a guy, you know, jumping over, you know, mushrooms or something like that. And they're like, this doesn't add up. It, It made consumers unhappy. Nintendo very strategically, intentionally, you know, put a screen grab from the game on the front. And said, hey, we're not going to like, you know, have some crazy cover that like kind of get almost like false advertising, you know, in a sense. So I think that's pretty interesting. So, you know, I think what I'm going to say right now is if you, you know, now that you know that about Clue Clue Land, if you still bought it, you know, that's kind of that's kind of on you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I did. And you know what? I might I might be apt to picking up another copy of it now just because of that memory yeah, that, I, that yeah. I have. So I never forget that lesson. Sure. Um, so let's talk about your, your at collectors universe and, and as I titled this episode, why, why he left collectors universe to, to start his own company. 
Why don't we talk a bit about that? What was going on there that, uh, you know, whether it was something going on there with the with the going private transaction or was it just you looking to get back? And as you put earlier, I think you, you said uh, play the game versus uh, be the referee. Yeah, sure. um, why did you leave collectors? And, and in leaving collectors, you now, you know, pivoted from coins to video games. So please sure. speak to both of those changes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned, you know, um, so, you know, my, you know, to, to maybe, you know, kind of retell, you know, my three years at collectors, you know, a little, little bit more detail, you know, I think something that happens too is, as you could probably imagine, or that you probably experienced a little bit in yourself with tag is that, you know, uh, the, the prior president at PCGS had been there for 10 years, which is, which is a pretty long time. And when I came into that role, you know, everybody, you know, you know, dealers would maybe have um, some contract, you know, rates where they would get, you know, uh, they'd pay a little bit less if they'd submit, you know, 10,000 coins a year, you know, sort of stuff like that. You might have somebody that has, you know, there's all sorts of different designations and stuff like that in coins, you know, hey, you know, you guys called this mint state, but would you look at it again? And, and would you call it a proof? You know, would you would you say that the finish is different, you know, all this sort of stuff like that. So, the first kind of six months at Collector's Universe was almost just, I hate to say people taking shots at me, but but almost kind of in a sense, like everybody that has a grievance, you know, anything that, that, that the prior guy for 10 years said no on, it was like, let's ask Brett now, you know? And so you kind of get through that. Uh, COVID hits. Um, you think that you're going to be laying people off. Um, you know, we had a, a large percent of PCGS, the coin business, is out of Asia at this point, Shanghai and Hong Kong. Um, you know, I went from visiting there quarterly to, I wasn't able to go there the last, you know, pretty much full two years that I was on the job it became very difficult. And, um, and, and then Nats group, uh, that ultimately purchased collectors universe wasn't actually the first, uh, group to come along, uh, that looked at purchasing this and something that happened, um, that was, it was interesting for me. I have a, you know, undergraduate business degree and stuff like that. And I, I consider myself just kind of a fascinated by business in general, but, something that would happen is a, a private equity company or, or some group of investors would come and they'd need more information about collector's universe. Joe Orlando, our CEO, he had ran PSA, you know, brilliantly for 20 years. Right. So any question that they had about PSA, Joe was able to handle, get on a conference call with investors, anything like that. Also too, at the time, you know, PSA was on the rise, you know, it hadn't even before it had kind of really gone orbital, the growth story was really compelling what Joe wasn't, Joe's not really a coin expert. So a, a lot of investment calls, you know, it was like, okay, we fielded all the questions about sports cards. Joe handled them all. Now they have some really tough questions about, you know, the, the age and population of coin collectors, Brett, you know, here's, here's three hours with them, you know, sort of thing. And um, so, you know, there were, there were kind of multiple, you know, dances before, you know, Nats Group ultimately, um, you know, purchased Collectors Universe and took them private. And uh, I think out of everybody that, that we spoke with, it was clearly the best, um, you know, the best group to do it and stuff like that. And for me, I think kind of to recap that whole process, an analogy I used, it was, you know, it almost felt like we had, uh, we had completed like the 10K, like in record time. And then, you know, Nat and crew came in and was like, all right, guys, like great work. You know, the marathon starts tomorrow, you know, and you're like, you're like, just kind of like sitting there like panting, you know? Yeah. And so for me, it was, you know, I remember sitting with Nat when I, when I, when I told him I, I wanted to leave, I said, Hey, look, man, I don't have anything else lined up. There's other things I'm interested in. I just, 
I don't think I have, like, I think you guys are going to win the battle, but like, I don't have the fight in me for the next five years. Like I'm going to be, I'm going to be like a skeleton, um, just, just this role in this job. And it's a really difficult role. And my replacement, Stephanie Staben, who was uh, chief of staff, she's been in the role for a little over a year now, and, and she's done a tremendous job, you know, as well. Um, it's, it's a, it's a difficult job. I, I have a lot of sympathy and empathy for anybody that runs any type of grading service. Um, cause not only are you going to mess up, but then there's so many things that you don't even mess up that people, you know, have a problem with, um, you know, in terms of running, running a grading company. So segued into video games. I had been collecting video games for a few years and, uh, had gotten more and more interested in the space and, um, you know, uh, coins are, coins are great. I love coins, uh, spent, a good amount of time really trying to figure out what I could do that was new and novel and coins kind of came up empty, got more and more interested in video games and, and um, you know, everything in a sense was, was new or novel. You know, we use this term infrastructure that we talk about and stuff and there's just, um, just so much to do. And it's, it's a target rich environment in terms of if you want to, you know, grow and, and help a vertical grow and, uh, and, and um, you know, I, I think personally, I think video games, will ultimately and should have a place alongside comics and cards and coins and stuff as, as the most popular, um, most popular collectibles that people collect. Yeah. I, I agree with that comment completely. I think, you know, coins, I don't know any coin collectors who, uh, you know, who, who I've come across in my whole life, whether through, you know, different schools and jobs and family and friends, I don't know anyone who really collects coins seriously the way that I collect cards seriously. Sure. Um, it makes me think about stamps as well. We don't hear too much about stamp collecting. I know that it's a it's an aging demographic, if not almost aged off the planet at this point. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, if that's a, the direction that coins may eventually go. But I I feel like coins are older than stamps, and and uh, you know, email has made stamp. You know, stamps are not really used as much. Just like hard currency isn't used as much anymore. Meanwhile, video games, you know, really were cartridges were pretty much invented you know probably earlier than the 80s but basically became yeah. something big in the 80s and that's uh that's recent when we're thinking about the timelines of these different collect these different collectibles so i could definitely i think your decision's a good one i'm gonna move it move out of a dying vertical i i, I mean i i don't mean that but you know yeah. like i should say maybe fading a little bit into one that's really on the, on the up and up or that's come yeah. on, the, on the come up yeah, no. And I think, you know, and stamps are, uh, you know, stamps really, I, I, somebody could write a really interesting book about how stamps died and, and what it probably ultimately would be is, uh, people not evolving. And I mean, you, you coins, I think is a good example of your base can age and you can still do well. You know, the good thing about people in their fifties and sixties and seventies that collect coins is that they have disposable income, you know? Um, I mean, you know, in terms of, you know, if you're, if you're building out, you know, a business, um, you know, we were at a local video game show in Columbus and, you know, we're selling games a hundred, 200, $300 at a time. You know, when I was a coin dealer, um, you know, you'd, you'd have multiple six figure transactions every, you know, every trade show, you know, sort of thing. I think with, with stamps, um, there was a lot, there was a lot of reticence against, against grading. There was a lot of reticence against um, the truth. Nobody, nobody wanted there to be like a real price guide in stamps, right? You know, people wanted it to be, you know, the price guide says 800 and just all of us old farts know that it's worth 300, 
you know, and that's the way, you know, things should be and stuff like that. But, you know, coins, um, there's a lot of, you know, a fascinating thing about coins is they have a, a hall of fame level. There was, there was a massive coin growth explosion in the late eighties. And that set the stage for, you know, the guys that, that founded, you know, Heritage, uh, Steve and Jim, you know, uh, Steve Ivy, Jim Helper, and their coin guys at heart, um, you know, Greg Roberts at Spectrum. You know, there's, there's, there's like a, there's like a 10 person Mount Rushmore of coins that really doesn't exist um, in, in other hobbies, really even sports cards. I would say there's a handful of guys or something like that. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of money in coins and you're, what we're seeing, what I'm getting at is there's enough people and there's enough brains and coins that we're seeing the evolution of coins. It's slow. Um, it'll always be an older demographic. Um, but there's, you know, there's positive and negatives to that demographic, uh, change. I don't think they could have explosive growth, you know, where PSA had, you know, year over year, 400% growth or something, you know, at PCGS, we were really happy with 12% growth, you know, or yeah. something. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, the story isn't written on video games, I think is just very compelling to me as somebody who's been in collectibles a long time. Yeah. Well, that, that certainly resonates with me. A couple comments coming through. I'm, we're not going to get into the questions because we just don't have time right now, but uh, decap says my 80 year old father collected stamps. Yeah. I mean, lots of people didn't do, uh, but they're just not oh, here. I'll, I'll keep on going. There you Paul, go. Paul Carl says stamps are huge. The book money stamps is one of the best I've read on any collectible that I'd actually really like to read that just to inform yeah, myself. Down. Yeah. Money stamps. That's uh thanks for that. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, Carl. And, and he, you know, he says stamps are huge, which is surprising to me that they're still huge, but that's just because I'm not looking for them. I'm not, I'm sure. not looking for the conventions. I'm not, going to the stamp store, the stamp LCSs to see what people are buying and yeah, selling. Yeah. I don't know if there's any, usually they're coin and stamp. You'll see a coin and stamp uh, shop in, in, you know, certain cities and that, but I, uh, I don't see anyone talking yeah, about stamps anymore. Huge is maybe a relative term here. Um, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But you don't think I'll, I'll check out the book for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Paul says here that the sidebar stories in that book are worth it alone. Good to know. I'll yeah. definitely uh, check yeah. that out. So uh, that's okay. We're we're coming up on time here, Brett. So let's talk about the infrastructure of collectibles because that's something that you wanted to touch on. And I think um, you're in a you're the perfect person to talk about it because you're so you you have so much experience with with coins in one of the big with one of the biggest companies in collectibles. Sure. Now you're working now now you founded your own company, Standard Gaming which is really a, a piece. It's a cog in that infrastructure of video games. You know, other, other infrastructure or building blocks of, blocks of collectibles that you mentioned to me, and I'll, I'll mention them and then you can sure. speak. You Grading, collection tracking, pricing, marketplaces, vaulting, a set registry program, price guides, which goes with pricing. You know, I think we take a lot of these for granted in cards, but they don't necessarily exist in video games. With that launch pad, I'll turn it over to you to speak to the importance of these things. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's uh, you, you, I think you just hit, you know, kind of all the ones I had in my notes, uh, you know, a couple of things I like to talk about coins real quick. You know, there's a, there's a, a price guide in the, in called the red book in coins. And it's a, among six or seven different really strong price guides in coins. The first red book came out in 1947 and it's been, you know, continuously running, you know, ever since then. Um you know, you have somebody, you know, like with, with the sports cards and coins, you have, you know, how many you're approaching 
tens of millions of data points with auction record, you know, price points and stuff like that. Um, you get into all these different things and it's just, it's, it's very fascinating to, to think about people really, I think, kind of take for granted a lot of that, you know, you're, you know, it's like you're, you're driving and you take roads for granted, you know, and uh, you know, major trade shows, you know, trading networks, uh, different price guides. I think the set registry program, we probably don't have time to get into it, but uh, I know on the coin side, on the sports card side, um, you know, massive, you know, massive part of those hobbies, you know, there's, there's a federally chartered nonprofit I touched on the American Numismatic Association. They have a two week long uh, summer camp uh, every summer in Colorado Springs for people that collect coins. And I used to teach a week long course on coin grading. I used to teach with two other guys. I would teach intermediate coin grading for a week. And it was really fun because everybody in the class is either 14 years old or like 75 <laughs> and, and, and they're all falling asleep at like two 30. Right. And, but I mean, that's how, that's how structured coins is became. There's a, there's a, a federally chartered museum about coins. They have courses. This isn't, you know, like the, the collectible expo in Vegas that was awesome. Right. I forget the, what was the name of, I mean, that's really cool. This is like for purely for hobbyists, you know, and there's all this sort of stuff that, um, you know, I, I think if I was able to do two of the 10 things that I just rattled off, you know, in video games over the next 10 years, I think it would be, it'd be great for the hobby and it's all stuff that the hobby needs. And it's probably stuff that needs to occur before the hobby really grows. I think the grading services will take leadership, um, you know, uh, you know, with price guides, set registry, more variant guide information and stuff like that. And, um, It'll it'll take it'll take some time, but I think this really is kind of the ground floor of of graded video games right now. It's really exciting to be here. Definitely, it seems like video games can leverage the experience of coins and and uh, sports cards as, as far as what pieces of of infrastructure need to be put in place. It's, it's, I don't sure. think it's I don't think it's rocket science there. I think we yeah. listed most of them. Yep. So uh, that that's pretty cool. I want to bring up this comment by. Triple R TV says it's almost better just to collect a dollar a day than collect anything as he looks at his room full of collections. <laughs> I mean, I think we all sometimes have that feeling of, you know, what am I doing with all these things? But I know I'm never going to stop uh, collecting yeah. cards. So, you know, one of my favorite truisms in coins is if you think a coin, you know, because aesthetics is very important in coins because coins do tone and tarnish and they get marks on them and stuff. And there's this, there's this old adage in coins that, if you think a coin is, is visually pleasing, others probably do too. And I think part of that is you kind of need to be honest with yourself. You know, if something's really beautiful, you know, if something's not beautiful, you can't really kind of advertise it as beautiful. And I think the same thing applies in, in car in all collectibles, right? If you think something is really cool, if you think Incredible Hulk 170, 181 is really cool in comics, other people probably do too, you know? And I think, you know, we were talking about Mario and stuff like that. And I think that I think if you're coming over from sports cards or memorabilia or coins and you get into to video games, there's a little bit of a learning curve, but you're going to be a fish. You know, you're going to go from out of water to in water. I think I think pretty quick if you've if you've been in collectibles a while. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, well said. Random Rick Review says, yep. And I still and yet I still collect. Got to get on that hoarder show goals. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Welcome to the show. Everyone who's new, if you're not yet subscribed to collectible or sports cards live on YouTube, please take a moment and do so if you would be willing. And uh, great. Okay, we are, this show is called Collectible Live. Collectible is the fractional ownership platform for sports cards and memorabilia. I don't know if they're going to move into other 
I actually, I shouldn't say I don't know. I think they're going to move into maybe some other verticals within collecting. Perhaps video games is one of them. I like to ask every guest is how do you see fractional ownership uh, fitting into the overall hobby landscape? And in this case, case, video games, you did mention early on in this episode that Rally sold uh, a, a copy of uh, maybe you said Super Mario. I forget what you yeah, said. Super Mario Bros. Yeah. For $2 million. Yeah. Um, Rally is a fractional ownership uh, mm-hmm. company with, similar to Collectible. So how do you see fractional ownership fitting into the, the landscape for video games as we move forward? And sure. and do you see it as one of these infrastructure type of pieces? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's I think it's interesting. I think I think fractionalization along with vaulting um, are definitely kind of two kind of newer pieces to the puzzle of, of overall collectibles. I know PWC has been around, PWCC has been around for a while in sports cards, but you know, the concept of vaulting has kind of came and gone in, in coins and it looks like it's kind of, kind of here again and it's here again for other collectibles. I think, you know, it's a great question on fractionalization. Uh, I think, I think really the, the thing that comes to my mind is just access that if you're somebody starting out and, you know, we talk about like the sub $500 section on standardgaming.com, it gives people access and stuff. It's another way to give people access where they can say, you know, okay, this is really cool. I'm probably never going to be able to afford this. I can feel a little bit of ownership here. I can be a part of this. I think that's really great. For somebody like me, I hope that evolves into them then kind of wanting to take the next step um, and, you know, owning, you know, uh, you know, physical collectibles and stuff like that. And I think, I think uh, the more fractionalization evolves, the more the opposite is going to happen too, where the guys that have been collecting video games or sports cards for 20 years, but still, I mean, let's face it, like, I would think 99% of us and people in the chat right now can't afford a mantle in 10 right now, you know? Um, but if you can have, oh, if you can have a sliver and um, you know, it's just, it's, it's really cool. And I think that will appeal to people that even the most hardcore physical collectors over time, I think just the draw will be too great, you know, as it evolves more and stuff like that. But um, it's certainly been an exciting addition in collectibles over the last three or four years. Yeah, I think it's still in its infancy and has some some growth to to a, a achieve here still, but I think it's here to stay myself. Okay, we'll do final comments, then we'll come to from the chat, then final comments from you, Brett, then we'll end this uh, random rare. I don't know what a Zoomer is, but he says Zoomer is pushing up prices on even lame old games. I always say, you know, it's up to you to collect or buy what you like. If you think if you think it's if you don't think it's lame, that's fine. If someone else thinks what you can't collect is lame, I just say I don't care, you know. Yeah, I mean, you, you and I are cut from that same cloth of, you know, you, and it's part of working at a grading service too. You see something you don't like over here and you collect over here. Why do you got to, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. look at here, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things in collectibles I don't understand. And if it doesn't, yeah, I don't know. Just pay it no mind. But exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. If you don't collect or going up, great if you're a long-term collector, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. So. All right. Uh, D caps is great show. Great guest. Thanks for the live stream. Thank you. D caps. Uh, he goes on to say fractional ownership is a Ponzi scheme. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Mod cult says, how does fractional work? Like who keeps the actual card? What if the company goes belly up? Uh, yeah. Great, great, great. And important questions. I can tell you that the, 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 the assets are kept in uh, vaults, securitized vaults and all that. And they're actually, uh, they're not actually owned by the company that does it. They're owned by the own, by the unit holders. So um, that's what would happen is you'd end up getting, you know, probably have to sell the item and get your money out of it. It might take longer than, than otherwise normal. Gen Z are the Zoomers, been in and out of the video game collection, just not getting back in this round, but definitely an increase in money. 
for sure, for sure. I am just going to collect Madden games there in my price range. Yeah, collect what collect what's in your price range. Awesome. Collect what you like, and let other people collect in peace. And with that, Brett, final comments to you. I want I do want to thank you for coming on. This yeah. has been really informative. I've enjoyed it immensely. But I'll leave the final word to you, and then we'll end this. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Standardgaming.com. If you want to learn about video games more, uh, this is. I don't know. I've become a, a, a Jeremy Lee lifer at this point. So it's been really great. I appreciate you having me. Right on, Brett. Well, thanks again for joining. I'm going to go check out standardgaming.com after this. I can feel myself picking up a game or two uh, to throw on the shelf behind me over the next uh, little while. So thanks for joining again. Thank you to everyone in the chat who is joining. And if and for the people that don't that don't like the sound of fractional, just consider that every stock on the stock market is fractional. Every, uh, you know, vacation ownership can be fractional. Fractionalization has come into just about every asset that there is. Uh, ride sharing, Uber is a form of fractionalization. All these things are fractional. So it's, uh, it, it, it's not sketchy. That's, uh, that's, that's uh, not, not the right word to describe it at all. It's an evolution that's going to take some getting used to for people, but it actually makes a ton of sense if you think about it logically. And with that, Brett, hang tight right there. But for now, everyone have a great week ahead. We'll be back next week, 7 o'clock Eastern for Collectible Live. And until then, have a great week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.